He's a creator, an innovator. His passion is why we listen. His knowledge is why we want to be educated. He really has spent his life focusing on people that make excuses. With a man who has turned around over 800 bars throughout the world, Bar Rescue's John Taffer. If you do tomorrow what you did today, you will get tomorrow what you got today. What episode is this, Corey? 73. All right, here we go. I'm John Taffer. This is episode 73 of my No Excuses podcast, and I'm sitting here with a, 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 a good buddy, Mark Chinook. Now, the fun thing about Mark is, is and I'm going to read you a little bit about Mark, and I don't want him to blush. Uh-oh. But he's going to be with me the whole podcast, and a, a native of Ontario, former member of the Canadian Hockey League. After your hockey days ended... Uh, you spent almost 10 years living in New York City on stage, in America's premier stages. You earned the Helen Hayes nomination for Best Supporting Actor for your role as Mark, probably one of my, fav- my favorite characters of all time of any show, Timon in Lion King. Then you, you uh, were in the smash hit Rock of Ages, and you have an incredible theater background. And I got to know Mark you <laughs> through the golden knights and you're the host of the golden knights is that what they call you in the arena actually yeah we're i'm part of that in arena host team yeah yeah it's a, it's a trip i bet it is yeah. but but you know mark I, i've i've watched you and known you now for a few years since the team started so it's really fun to have you here buddy well i can't i can't thank you enough for having me here this is an honor and a treat i'm a big fan and you know like you said we met through the golden knights and we were just talking before we started rolling how that team has brought this community together and and created friendships yeah. you know 18,000 people walk into the fortress t-mobile every every game and it's a family it truly is a family we're all hugging and high five and saying hi to each other and you know i am a firm believer that most of our fans go just to see other fans and not even go to watch the game sometimes because it's become this uh, incredible social atmosphere there it is it almost reminds me of the la lakers in their heyday yeah, you know, years ago. Yeah. But you know, sports is, is is a powerful thing sociologically. Take the ball out of it or the puck mm-hmm. out of it, yeah. and it's still a powerful sociological thing. But to give everybody an update, you know, we just finished uh, uh, our season of Bar Rescue, so I'm actually here in town for a few weeks, buddy, which is pretty I know that's cool. why we get to be together here it today. Is. It's great. So we finished. Uh, I think, boy, I lost freaking count. Twenty eight episodes we did this year, and I'm doing thirty one next year. The show Man. kicks ass. And when you roll in there, man, and take over, I love it. I love, I, as much as I love watching you, I love watching everybody else because the expression and the production does a great job of getting their faces, these yeah, honest reactions it. where you see these guys just get broken down and like realize, hey, we really need help here. Yeah. It's incredible to watch. It's unbelievable. Well, thank you, buddy. It's it's uh, we keep it real. Yeah. And, no pun and, intended. And it works out here. Yeah. So you gotta come do an episode with me. Will you do it? <laughs> I would love that. Have you do recon and we'll, do an we'll, episode together? We'll do some entertainment. We'll throw in some entertainment elements. <laughs> so when you were young, you were you were a kid, you grew up in Canada. Yep. Hockey is life in Canada. It's the centerpiece of everything. It's baseball, football, basketball, all combined into one is what hockey means up in Canada. And when you were a kid, you wanted to be a hockey player, huh? I think every kid born in Canada is, you know, born with skates on. It's uh, it's a part of our culture. Uh, Tim Hortons, yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's who we are. Yeah. And uh, like every other young kid growing up in Canada, I wanted to raise the Stanley Cup. And I grew up in probably what is hockey town Canada. I know there's probably a lot of Canadians that will yeah. argue with me, but Sault Ste. Marie is home to the Greyhounds. 
and the players that have come through that city as young men before yeah. they've gone on to become amazing professional athletes is 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 pretty iconic. It's amazing. It's yeah. it, it's almost a breeding ground, it if is. you will. No, yeah. it truly is. It yeah. truly is. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, yeah. uh, John Van Beesbrook, Jeff Bukaboom, Rick yeah. Tockett, Ron Francis, uh, Joe Thornton as of late, Colin Miller of yeah. our, our uh, Golden Knights. Yep. Uh, the players that have come through Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound hockey is uh, it's pretty special. So you're playing hockey. <laughs> you're a happy kid. And uh, somehow you wound up on a Broadway stage. How... Did you ever expect that? Was that something that came up later in your life? Because you're very talented on stage. Obviously, you know that. You do a great job on stage, buddy. And did you know that you had that talent when you were young? No. I knew there was something there. My parents were uh, were adamant that we, you know, we took classes, piano lessons, singing lessons. Uh, where I grew up as an English-speaking community, but yet my parents sent me to an all-French wow. uh, uh, grade school. So kindergarten through the eighth grade, we only spoke French. So I learned all of the core classes in elementary school or grade school in French. French. And at recess, we couldn't speak English. Wow. So I was you know, thrown into the French language. And my mom and dad are such wonderful, giving people that... You know, I think that's that's sort of part of it. You know, I think uh, artists, actors, entertainers, they're... It's a we're giving people, and uh, I didn't expect to transition to New York. But after those hockey days ended, I you know we had to figure something out. And again, just supporting parents, I said, "Hey, I want to move to New York City." And uh, okay, they supported wow. it, which is you know at, at that time different. I was the youngest of five, so I had you know four siblings ahead of me go through the traditional path of you know going to the college to become a you know in finance or a doctor, a lawyer, you know, you name it. But I, I was sort of the black sheep, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go give this a whirl, and wow. I was just blessed, you know. I got lucky. Okay, so Canadian kid, how old were you when you went to New York? 19 years old. So a 19 year old punk Canadian yeah. kid, yeah. goes to the big city in New York to pursue a dramatic career on Broadway. Is that what you actually did? Yeah, I, I studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, which is a, an acting conservatory on mm -hmm. 30th and Madison. It was a. I look back on it and go, man, my parents were pretty cool. The wow. school didn't have a, a housing situation, so they put me up at the Y on wow. 92nd Street. Wow. The DeHirsch residence for whatever they called it. And people from all over the world staying in a Y. So for my first six months to a year of school, I, I spent living in a Y. And I think that had a lot of influence on me, too, because... Got to meet people from all over the world, but they had this incredible culture program on the ground floor, and they would give you as a resident free tickets to go sit in on speakers or lectures or anything that was going on at the Y then. And wow. this isn't your typical Y. It was it was right. a pretty fancy place and had an incredible program on that ground floor. And you know, I got to meet you know Neil Simon spoke there one night. Arthur Miller spoke wow. there. You know, and you're, I'm sitting there listening to these guys as a kid. So your brain exploded in that place. Yeah, for, I was literally just submerged into this world of, of culture and art and coming from a town of 70,000 people on Lake Superior. It was an eye-opening experience. Wouldn't change wow. it for the world. It was awesome. What was your first uh, Broadway role when you were actually on stage in a theater in New York? Uh, it was a, an off-Broadway production, yeah. Princess Turandot, and it was a, a, a adaptation of the Italian opera. And believe it or not, I was in full Italian commedia makeup. I played a <laughs> eunuch. <laughs> A uh, small part, but this production, 
ended up opening the Westport Country Playhouse's summer season. So after we closed off Broadway, we moved to Westport. And again, as a kid from Canada who was a hockey junkie, had no idea that the Westport Country Playhouse was run by Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman. Newman. So I got there thinking, I'm just going to do the six-week run of this play that we just did in New York. We'll go out to Connecticut for a few weeks in the summer. How spoiled Mm -hmm. am I? I walk into the green room. And who's there to welcome us but Paul oh, Newman? Man. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Slap shot. I literally said, bro, I have it on beta. You know, <laughs> I have it on beta. A great hockey movie. I never understood how at that age he played hockey in that movie. But putting that aside, yeah. it was a great movie. Paul Newman, man. Yeah, no, like, absolutely. So I knew I was doing the right thing. And that was sort of my introduction to professional theater wow. in New York. And to see... You know, superstars really in their prime at that time, grounded, humble, running a theater out of a red barn in Connecticut, understanding that this is an art form, this is what we do, this is who we are. That really sort of solidified it for me that I was like, I want to be a part of this community and I'll do whatever I can to, to sustain a career here. And it was challenging. Like, let's not sugarcoat yeah, it. You know, yeah. living in New York City as a young performer is hard, and I tip my cap to the kids who are still there doing it. It's expensive. The gigs come and go. Right. Your career goes up and down and sideways. And, you know, I did everything from run the door at a nightclub until 4 in the morning to, to bartend to bus tables. You name it. I did it in the service industry to keep my days free to so that I audition. could audition. Because the minute your agent calls you and says, hey, Mark, I need you to be at CBS at 2 o'clock, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, man, I'm working. Forget about it. You're done, right? You're done. So I worked nights for 10 years in that city in between jobs doing whatever I could. Now, I was on the other side of the fence. I was in L.A. when I was young running Mm -hmm. a troubadour in Barney's Beanery, and everybody who worked for me were people who were actors and musicians that all had to have their time set for auditions. And, of course, when you run those places in L.A., every day you get a phone call. I need to to change my schedule. I got an audition Thursday night. Yeah, exactly. So you get it. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, what we would do is we would try to accommodate, you know, as many as we could. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. Well, you were a good owner. You know, you were a good boss because a lot of times that doesn't happen. You know, guys are like, hey, man, you're fired. And you know what? You got to roll with it. And you're like, all right, I got the resume going and I need to get to the next restaurant or the next bar, find a gig. Well, you know, I found that, that, that you guys were great employees. So Grateful. We adjusted absolutely. We adjusted yeah. our schedule, and yeah. you guys were hungry. You needed to make the money when you, you were there. It. You needed so, it. So you know, worked out great for everybody if, if we understood you know what each other needed. Yeah, it was uh, it was a trip. I wouldn't change a thing. New York City holds a, a you know a real special place in my heart. I was there for a long time, and you know I still go back all the time. I'll be there in December for a gig, and I love it. It's such yeah. a great city. All right, Mark. There's something we do here every week. That's sort of fun. Uh oh. Now. You know that our government, congressional people, our senators, they're hard at work every day. And they pass legislation and put path all sorts of documents to create our national days. And when you think about what a national day is, it's in essence an act of Congress. Well, Somebody has to propose National Linguini Day, right? Yeah. Whatever the hell. Yeah. Somebody has to write up National Linguini Day. They have to present it. They have to vote on it. And then it becomes an official national day. Well... It's important to me that all of our listeners are aware of the hard work (laughs) that our government does for us every week. What did I sign up for today? So I wanted to go through the list of national days with you for this week. Uh Uh-oh. And it starts with National Harvey Wallbanger Day. 
Now, the Harvey Wallbanger is an interesting drink, and I'm going to tell people how I believe the name of that became. And the drinks of names are an interesting piece of history. Mm. A Harvey Wallbanger is just vodka and orange juice yeah. with some Galliano on top. Yeah. Galliano used to come, I don't know if it still does, in a really tall bottle. I mean, like two, three, right? And it, it was, was like a pyramid. Yeah, like a pyramid, like a pyramid-shaped kind of bottle. So this guy, Harvey, in Philadelphia, was a bartender, wanted to make a special drink. So he took the simplest drink of all, a screwdriver, Looked around, said, ah, I'll put Galliano. So he put Galliano on top. Every time Harvey made the drink, since the Galliano bottle was so tall, he had to put it on a back shelf in the bar. So he'd bang the fucking wall <laughs> every time he put the bottle back. So they started to call it Harvey's Wall Banger. And that's how that drink actually came that's to be incredible. known. I didn't know. I'm, my parents are coming in December. My mom makes a Harvey Wall Banger cake. Really? And we grew up with this cake. Wow. And it had. You know, a little bit of the Galliano. Galliano in it. Wow. And it's delicious. So when she's here in December, I'm going to have her make it, and I'm going to bring it to you. Oh, man. Because now that I know the story. you got to tell her the story. I'm going to tell her. She's going to freak out. So that that's the story, and it came out of, of Philadelphia. When we shot Bar Rescue in Philadelphia, we, the, the first season we went to Philadelphia, we shot, I think it was four episodes in a row. And each episode of Bar Rescue is four days. You're mm-hmm. off for two. You're off. Actually, then it was five days. You're off for two. Five days. You're off for two. We had PAs getting cheesesteak sandwiches three a day from every, every place in the city. That's so smart. So Try them three all. times a day, a production assistant showed up with you know a bag full of these, yeah. and myself and certain key people in a crew who were really into it. We tasted them every freaking day, and I think it was I don't I think it was Gino's who won, if I'm really? not mistaken. Huh? But we and must have tried th- across th- the right, street. Right. We used to try like uh, must thirty or forty of them. That's awesome. The history but, there is ridiculous. It is. You ever spend time in Chicago? Both. Yeah, Chicago, Philly, New York, all over the East Coast. Because if I'm going to pick a sandwich that's indigenous to a city, that's the best of all. You think about, okay, Philly cheesesteak, not bad. But the Chicago Italian beef sandwich, huh? I think is the best indigenous sandwich to any city. Really? Have See, you... I go pizza when I think Chicago. Oh, man, I got to get you an Italian beef sandwich. So so it isn't like, what, there's no tomato sauce. It's a, it's a uniquely spiced Roast beef okay. on a baguette, and then they take the top of the baguette and they dip it, they dip it. in the sauce. Man, it's it's the freaking die for. I got to get us some real Italian beef. So, right. hats off to Portillo's in Chicago who kick some butt when they do that. All right, National Scrapple Day. What the heck, Scrapple? I was just gonna say, what the hell is Scrapple? Corey, would you look up Scrapple for us? Is it a typo? Is it Scrabble? I mean, it almost seems that we would, uh, 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 if we were scrappling with each other, we'd be in a fight. Looks like uh, a food from Pennsylvania. It's pork. Pork scraps. Pork scrapple. Wow. Okay. So it's almost like, looks a little like a um, spam to me, doesn't it? Yeah. Pennsylvania Dutch pan rabbit, traditionally a mush of pork scraps and trimmings combined with commercial and wheat flour. (laughs) Mush pork deserves its own day. (laughs) And on November 9th, we are going to celebrate mush pork, Pork. better Uh, known as scrapple. Oh, man. I'm not sure I wanted to learn that one. My doc will not allow me to eat scrapple. So what do you think about the Raiders coming to to Vegas? I mean, it's pretty freaking exciting. Yeah, it's outstanding. You know, you were a part of the night's introduction to Vegas. And uh, one of my favorite movies, and if you haven't seen it, you'd love it, is a movie called The Ghosts of Flatbush. Okay. And The Ghosts of Flatbush, it's on YouTube, is a documentary film about when the Brooklyn Dodgers left Brooklyn, New York. And when the Brooklyn Dodgers left New York, the city literally fell apart. And what, what they learned sociologically from that 
was that a sports team homogeneously connects us all, black, white, old, young, male, female. Everybody can rally around this team, which is neutral to us all, yeah. right? And the reason for us all to, to, to view life in the same way through our team. Yeah. So when that team left Brooklyn, the whole city sort of fell apart, economically, sociologically, it had a powerful impact. And then when I used to be on the advisory board of NFL Enterprises, you know, I heard stories of like uh, uh, um, Jacksonville, Florida. You know, they're going to bring the Panthers there, and they're going to and they're going to impact the economic downtown area by billions of dollars. But there's only nine home games a year, or eight home games a year, and you know, the economic impacts didn't quite happen when they brought the teams in as much as everybody said they would. The impact was sort of greater when they took the team out than people said it would. And you think about the fact that Vegas is getting the Raiders, but Oakland is losing the Raiders. And I happened to sh shoot up there in Oakland. I was shooting in, in Marshawn Lynch's bar, hmm. who's an ex-NFL player. Played for the Raiders, as a matter of fact, his last season. And uh, uh, they're bummed up there. I mean, they are really, and you can see the sociological impact of a team leaving. You almost went through that when you were growing up. Tell the story for a minute. Yeah, we talked about the, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. So in 88, the team at the time was owned by Phil and Tony Esposito, who grew up in Sault Ste. Marie. Hockey went on legends. to have hockey legends. You know, legends, amazing careers. And back then, they were going to sell the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds to the CompuWare organization in Michigan, and the Greyhounds would relocate to just outside Detroit, and it was going to be the first American-based Canadian Hockey League franchise. And at the time, I think they were asking a million bucks for the franchise. And back then in the 80s, that was a, a lot of money. big big price tag for a junior team. And my father, who at the time was a dentist, knew nothing about running a hockey franchise. You know, the Sioux is known for its steel mill and the Greyhounds. You know, and we talked about it earlier with the guys that played there. Yeah. There's, some, there's some legacy there. There's some, some heritage, you know, Hockey Town Canada, like I said. And my dad just said, hey, look, you can't. You can't pull this team out of our, our, our community. Who are we going to be? What are we going to be? Who are we? You know, after this team leaves, we're a steel mill. We're, uh, we're grinding, working class. And, he sensed the impact. Yeah. And he said, look, if I can figure it out and match the offer for the CompuWare organization, will you sell to us locally? And Phil and Tony Esposito agreed. They said, you know, they saw that too. They didn't think they had an option to keep it in the, in the community. So we rallied and, uh, my dad put together a, a team of investors. It was right when the loony coin came out in Canada, the dollar coin. Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid, I might have been 11, 12 years old at the time, standing on our Queen Street, you know, downtown Main Street, USA, with buckets asking for loonies. It was a loony drive. Wow. And we had homemade signs, get loony, save the hounds, you know, and we raised $250,000 from the public just in, you know, them giving up money. Wow. The city put up 250000 and my father put in the five hundred with a group of investors, and literally overnight became a hockey owner, hired some incredible people, you know, and his philosophy in business is, is, is incredible. You know, if he doesn't know anything about it, he's going to find the, the right guys, the greatest mm -hmm. guys to do it. And owners own, general managers manage, coaches coach, trainers train, players play. Right. And he said, we're going to find the best people in those categories, and hopefully that will turn into success. Five years, not even, four years into owning the franchise, they won the national championship. Unbelievable. They won 
numerous league championships. And it was an unbelievable time for us as a family because, like you said, we celebrated this organization as a, as a community. And there was a lot of pride there in the city because the city became an owner. He allowed the city, since they put in money, to become an owner and have a say. And so the public was was like, it's like the Packers, it's you know? Yeah, it was an unbelievable thing. It's a great story when you, when you think about the fact that, that it could have gutted. It would have gutted the, the city. The emotions of the city. Yep. And it didn't happen. But, you know, we're building now, I think it's a 60,000, 60,000-seat stadium in Vegas. But yet when you look on TV, you, you see this stuff. I mean, there's empty seats in every arena. So mm -hmm. we went online and I was looking. You know, what pro sports teams are economic winners for their cities? There's not a lot of them, tell you the truth, that have impacted the city so powerfully. You know, Leeds studied Chicago, a big sports town with five major teams. Every sports team in Chicago would have suddenly disappear. The impact on a Chicago economy would be a fraction of 1%. Hmm. When you take a look at what's happening with sports fans... Are we wrong about millennial sports fans? Millennials enjoy sports just as much as members of other generations. It's the way they consume it is different. I travel a lot. I watch a lot of Knights games on my phone. Mm -hmm. I do, man. It's just mm -hmm. the way it is sometimes. Sometimes I'm sitting home and I'm watching something on TV, and I have the Knights game on the tablet running next to it. Yeah. So, so I'm not only consuming the Knights on television anymore. There's a lot of places where I can consume the Knights. If I don't see the whole game, I can go to the Knights website and see clips. Yeah, you see the recap. Absolutely. So I can be a fan without watching the Knights on television all the time. It's funny you mentioned you had the tablet running. I'm the same way now, which yeah. is it's interesting, and I'm sure your listeners are the same way. The TV has almost become secondary to what's in our hand. That's right. Like you're, you, could, you could have Law & Order on. But yet your phone is on and you're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or you're watching something on the ESPN app. It's crazy how that's evolved. The, the, the television has become secondary. It has in my house. No, and mine too. You know, but yeah. what's fascinating then is, you know, when, when I was younger, and I'm a little older than you, when I was younger, we didn't have any of that stuff. So when you watch TV, you were engrossed in TV. Yeah. You got into yeah. the story. The, yeah. Almost like you made the theater the where you're really connected yeah. with what's going on. Now, you're on your phone, TV's going in the background, you're talking. So it's almost TV, ambient noise. It, it's, or it's one of two or three things going on in your head at the same time. Yeah. We don't connect dramatically with TV like we used to mm -hmm. for that reason. Yeah, it goes back to what you're talking about, the theater. We've oh, made yeah. the conscious choice to go into that theater, have the lights go down, everything else gets turned off. And we're engrossed And that's it. why it's different. Because even in a movie theater, how many times you at the theater and somebody two rows over turns on their phone and it lights up right, and, right. you know, that doesn't happen in, in a Broadway show. No, they'll, no they'll, way. They'll drop kick you. Audience is too respectful, you yeah. bet. Yeah. So we're not losing fans, we're fighting attention spans. So the average millennial now looks at their phone about 260 times a day. Yeah, that's unreal. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So if you look at 260 times a day and you look at a TV show that runs an hour or a game that runs three hours or whatever, they're going to look at their phone during that time period. There's mm -hmm. no question about it, and they're going to look at it a bunch of different times. If something, when they look at it, catches their attention, the rest of the room zones out. And Agreed. now their attention goes to that device. Mm -hmm. So it's changing. So they tried to speed up baseball. They tried to speed up a lot of sports, right, because that attention span is killing us. Uh, uh, um, Greg Norman. I was on Fox News with him last year. He's trying to build golf courses that are 14 holes now. <laughs> it's unreal. And, and the concept is you can, you can get in and out in two and a half, three hours, get yeah. a full game of golf in. Yeah. 
that you yeah. know guys like uh, you or I don't want to spend six hours on a course. I mean, those days are over. I won't do it. Yep. Yeah, I won't so, do it. So it's interesting. So when you think about attention span, uh, um, NFL, you know, 45% of Generation X are committed sports fans versus 38% of millennials. So it's gone down a considerable a percentage. When we look at in millennials versus Generation X, Generation X was 36% were NFL fans, 27% of millennials are. NBA is the same at 16. NHL went down from 14 to 11. International soccer went up. That's no surprise. Mm -hmm. NASCAR went down considerably. So millennials are not connecting with NASCAR like the previous generation. NCAA stayed the same, which also makes sense to me. Look at baseball. Baseball from Generation X to Millennials has taken a 4% drop from 20% to 16 The game's 16. too long. The game is just way too long. It is. And the season's too long. Forget yeah. the game itself. They play, it's like, year-round. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was involved in the NFL when we were doing Sunday Ticket, the NFL knew that their greatest asset was that at the time they only had 14 games. Mm-hmm. Makes every game so important, every play so important, every player so important. Even hockey, when you take a look at you know how many games by the time you get to the Stanley Cup, you're, what, 120 games or so by the time you get to the Cup? Yeah, it's almost two seasons. And right. you see it turn. You know, you see after the All-Star break, the players dial it up a notch. They're like, all right, are we, are we in a playoff run here? Right. Are we going to make the playoffs? Is Great. This real? Here, here we go. That's right, and you it know? changes. And once you hit the playoffs... The structure of our playoffs in hockey are, are pretty special. Anybody can win. You That's just right. got to get in. And but, we see it, you know. You see but you see these guys way. after 80, 90 games. They're beat up. And it's unbelievable. And often the team that's playing in, in, in the playoffs doesn't have the character or speed or, of the team that started that mm -hmm. season. It's, yeah. it's brutal. But, you know, as one who owns sports bars for years, it's fascinating. You know, the most days you can ever really get out of a sports bar is about 80. Yeah. You know, because people the, for bars don't come to every hockey game. They came to postseason. Yeah, you know, and they, they love the convenience and, again, the opportunity to, to zone out when they can. <laughs> yeah. Talk to your buddy sitting next to you, have some chicken wings doing, you know, and that's part of it. That's part of that culture. And as a, as a sports bar guy, I love that. You yeah. know, having the good booth, a yeah. couple TVs in front of you, the great food, the great drinks. And I'm allowed to pick up my phone and not feel like I'm, you know, Right. Doing something sacrilegious. But on the same end, what we're doing now on the entertainment side of things, we know you're going to pick up your phone when you're in the, in the game. So what can we do on the creative side so that if you are going to pick up your phone, we're going to engage you with what's happening right now. There could be a giveaway. There could be, did you see that play? Well, you want to see the replay again? You're going to be able to do it through our app. Mm -hmm. uh, working with Top Rank, we're exploring a lot of those options because in combat sports, when you go to see combat sports when somebody gets knocked out in the first round that next fight's not starting for could be 35 minutes what do you to do? an hour what are we going to do right. how are we going to engage you well we know for a fact 100 percent of you are going to take out your phone he just got knocked out well you don't want to go buy a beer you got a beer in your hand well you're on your phone so how can we keep you engaged with our brand with our product with what's happening in the arena right now on your phone and that's where all of the entertainment unfortunately and fortunately we have to pay attention to it. You know, I like that. I like that opportunity. I like that uh, sort of the mojo, the creative mojo that we got to come up with yeah. because I know you're going to pull out your phone. Yeah. So we want to keep you in our land and not let you go over to the Facebook, you Smart. know, you know, rabbit hole land. Smart. So we're working on stuff right now where it's addressing this issue exactly where millennials, 
whoever. I'm not a millennial, but I'm on my phone all the time. You're yep. on your yep. phone all the time. So how can we keep you engaged in either Vegas Golden Knights land, NFL land, NASCAR land? Because you're going to have your phone. Yep. So let's figure out how we can make this part of the experience. And you're seeing a lot of the new arenas, and I'm, I'm in, interested to see if the Raiders do it. A lot of the new stadiums and arenas now are, are launching their own app. So your parking is handled, your food order is handled, your tickets are handled, your server's name is on there. So the whole experience is it's actually in, in the palm of your hand, yeah. and we've got you. So even if you want to take a selfie, it'll help you put it onto your social pages. From or drop a logo on it or whatever. Exactly. Right. Right. So that's all coming, and I think we'll have it here in Vegas with, with T-Mobile in not too long, as well as Raiders Stadium, because that technology exists, and a lot of the new stadiums are doing it. And how great is that if you, you're rolling up? You know you're going to have to deal with parking. Your phone, you put your window down, boop, scan right. it, you're in. You get to your seat, boop, your food arrives. Right. It's it's pretty, pretty clever. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that's what has to happen. You know, in the restaurant business, we're, we're fighting uh, Uber, Uber Eats. Uber Eats, and, uh, and, yeah. So, you know, you, you can get a McDonald's. I did a thing on Fox last week, two weeks ago. <laughs> McDonald's will Uber deliver yeah. over a million hamburgers after 10 o'clock tonight. In one night, they're over a million a night. And you're almost paying more for the delivery than mm-hmm. the burger. Absolutely. People are delivering tacos that cost a dollar a piece from Taco Bell. And they're paying three bucks to get them. So yeah. you don't need to come to me for the food anymore. The food can come, come to you. To you. It's con- I don't people need, want convenience, right? I don't need to go to you for the game anymore. Mm-hmm. The game comes to me. It's on your phone. On it's my on phone, tablet. on my tablet, any place I can consume it. So, But if we can create an experience in that arena or in that sports bar, in that restaurant, that you can't get at home. You've become a master of that these these past few seasons. It's been fun. It's been fun. So i got a question for you, buddy. How do you stay so focused, Mark? I mean, (laughs) you're doing the night stuff, which they come home, so you're nailed for a few days that week while they're home. Then they go on the road, right? So you're down for a week or two when they're on the road. You're dealing with – you're very charitable. I know that, which we'll talk about in a moment. How do you stay focused with all the projects that you're doing? Team, you know, I, I have a, a team of three. You know, it's my wife, it's one of my best friends, and I actually just brought on my first employee that wow. is sort of my right hand and going to help me sort of govern and mag- uh, manage all the projects. Uh, the top-ranked boxing and ESPN thing has sort of been the thing that has sort of taken off in the last little while, and they're a, a Vegas-based company, and... Uh, It's just been an incredible learning experience for me. I was telling Corey, you know, the first time Max Kellerman ever said my name on ESPN was a special day. As a kid from, you know, Sault Ste. Marie who transitioned into theater and then has come full circle back into sports. Uh, It's it's just been an incredible ride. Uh, A lot of deep breaths and taking things day by day. You know, I respect guys like you, Sal. You know, you're so busy as well. And I've been able to meet so many incredible people here in Las Vegas. Tony Shea has become a dear friend. And he even said to me, he goes, Mark, I don't don't respond to emails the day I get them. Usually it's a day later. And when I heard him say that, I was like, wow, okay, I don't feel so bad that that email sat there for 24 hours before I got back to it, you know. And it's just really taking it day by day and enjoying the ride because I think a lot of times – Again, the process, and I hate referring to theater all the time, but the process in, in what we do to put on that final product that you see is really, truly an enjoyable part of it. Like people see the curtain call and they see the big show, but you seldom think of the four weeks or the three and a half weeks of rehearsal that it took to get there. 
And that ride is really something special. And I just now, where I am in life, I it's a ride. And these emails and the, the calls and getting over here to be with you today, and it's just all part of the ride. And so I just sit back and I try not to get too stressed out over it and we just we get on the ride and we go but that's kind of it but you gotta enjoy the scenery on the way yeah that's it <laughs> yeah absolutely it's it's enjoying this moment and taking it all in and saying hey how cool is this and then yeah. you, you walk out and what do you do you take out your phone and you look yeah. where am i going next and that's it you know it's interesting guys like you and i share something interesting i was sitting with my network the other day and you know we're working on a new tv show which i'm not allowed to say yet but it was approved that's yesterday. awesome I'm pretty excited that's about awesome that. picked up by the network and, you know, we're talking about the fact that, you know, when you're on stage, you're completely in that moment. Yeah. The, the next moment doesn't matter. The moment before doesn't matter. You are in that moment. Mm-hmm. When you're at T-Mobile and, you know, you're engrossed in, in, in crowd manipulation and hosting events and doing all the things that you do in front of that crowd, you are completely in that moment. Yeah. Nothing else matters. When I'm making Bar Rescue or right now with you, yeah. I am also completely in the freaking moment yeah i don't know where we're going the next moment i don't really give a shit where we've been the last moment it's all about this moment right now absolutely you and i share that and i think that's a a common thing about a lot of entrepreneurs and people who build brands and things around themselves you've done a great job at being authentic to yourself you know all of the various things that you do which is also really important but you said something a minute ago that was really powerful to me. You said, you know, you answer the email the next day, and that's okay. You know, sometimes in priorities, it's good. Hold on. Slow everything the fuck down for a minute here. Yeah. Because it goes so fast, we don't get to think. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that 24 hours means everything. And I remember somebody once said to me, you like this, Mark. There are three things in life, good, fast, and cheap. You get two out of three. Mm-hmm. You want a good and fast? It ain't cheap. No. You want a good and cheap? It isn't fast. Yeah. And whatever the third one is, it isn't that either. So, so, so you raise a really interesting point. Our lives go really quickly. Very. And we're in a reactionary place. You get a phone call, we react to it. You and I are very mm-hmm. much in that world. But yet if we react without thought, we wind up in a bad place. Yeah, Absolutely. So, well, everything's immediate, right? Social media, all of our news, Twitter, Facebook, it's right there. And, you know, not to keep bringing up my folks, but, you know, yeah. they are the backbone of everything that we do as brothers and sisters, my family. Mm-hmm. We're so tight. Uh, before all of this social media and quick access to the phone, my father, you know, instilled something in us that the will to prepare to win is more important than the will to win, you know, which is huge. Yeah. And then he also said, if you want to say something, and it could have impact on somebody else, wait 24 hours. And if you still want to say it, then say, say it. it. That's what I'm, when you said that, if I answer it tomorrow, that's yeah. exactly what I thought yeah. of. How many things would I have answered differently <clears throat> had I waited one day? Yeah, taking the time to let it sit in and process it. And yeah. at the end of the day, does the one day really fucking matter that no. much? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, it really not doesn't. Not at all. So you do something here in Vegas called Monday's Dark. And it's really cool, and you're going to be back. We're going to be doing a lot of these together. But uh, 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 I'm sort of treating you like a guest today rather than <laughs> no, my partner good. in this it's thing. Good. But Monday's Dark is a really cool thing that you put together. Tell me about it. Tell everybody about it. Yeah, it's something special that uh, has a near and dear place in, in 
you know, my, my wife and I's heart and home. It's, it's just who we are here in Las Vegas. Three months into Rock of Ages opening at the Venetian. Now, don't get me wrong. When we moved here for Rock of Ages originally, it was like, oh, we'll do six months. We'll go back to L.A. or go back to New York and find the next gig. Immediately fell in love with Las Vegas. And what makes up a city are the people. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the people and learned quickly how giving this city was because of its people. And as an entertainer, we had it in our contracts that as, you know, the goofy lead guy in Rock of Ages, I had to show up at all of these these events. And I, you know, I'd have to go to the Venetian, I'd put on the mullet and the goofy 80s <laughs> outfit and make the rock horns and yep. literally show up to a red carpet, take a picture and leave. And I said this quickly, I was like, man, Vegas is red carpet happy. They'll open up a, a red carpet for the opening of Applebee's in Summerlin. They don't care. They put out a carpet and they want everybody to show yep. up. I didn't know anything about the event. I would take a picture and I'd leave. And again, my time at that time is valuable. You know, I had a lot going on. And I said, this this doesn't make sense to me, you guys. Why am I just showing up to take a picture? I, I get it. It's good for whoever that, that thing is, that event is, for the these celebrity local entertainers to show up. But I think we can do better. And so the name Monday's Dark comes from the fact that Broadway is traditionally yep. dark on Monday. Yep. We were uh, following that schedule when Rock of Ages first opened. And I started meeting all the entertainers, the Cirque performers, the Absinthe performers. Jersey mm-hmm. Boys was running at the time. Million Dollar Quartet. All these incredible actors and entertainers, yep. headliners, yep. would all show up, take pictures, and we'd all leave and go back and do our show. And I said, hey, guys, if I did an event on a Monday night, would you come? Forget the red carpet. I want you to get up on stage and do something. You're an entertainer. You're not a lawyer. You're mm-hmm. an actor. You're a singer. You're a dancer. Mm-hmm. Do what you do, and we'll give some money away. They embraced the idea. Monday's Dark was born, and what we do is every other Monday, it's two Mondays a month, I produce a 90-minute variety show. We pick a different local charity, and that charity receives $10,000 in 90 minutes. Wow. And this December, we celebrate our 100th partner, which is a million bucks for Las Vegas raised, charging $20 to this goofy variety show. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so just last night, we had a Monday's Dark for Culture Shock, which is a local... Uh, a dance troupe where they take underprivileged kids, they teach them dancing, they t- and as you know in the arts, there are life lessons there. Yeah. And of course we, there are. Yeah, so we did an event for them last night. Uh, the theme was 90s R&B, so I had some of the best singers from the strip singing all 90s R&B music, and in 90 minutes we raised 10 grand for Culture Shock. And, and do we it, do it every other Monday. That's So you're raising 20 grand a month? 20 grand a month. That's fantastic. And we hit a million this December. That's fantastic. So I'm proud to tell you my wife, Nicole, is in Vegas Magazine this week uh, uh, as the recipient of one, one of the eight women who, who won the Vegas Gives event, one That's of the amazing. eight most philanthropic women in all of Vegas. That's incredible. And Wednesday night at Wynn Plaza is the event that the magazine throws, and we're representing Keep Memory Alive, I'm sure you know, yeah, right? Absolutely. The Rufo Center for Brain Health, which yep. is our big thing. But, you know, you've become quite a charitable force in town. It's fun. We've actually partnered with uh, KMA and uh, Larry and Camille Ruvo yeah, have become yeah. incredible family friends. And again, it's that circle. Two of my best friends. Of people who just get what the word community really means. Yeah. Knock on the door randomly at my house. Yeah. And hey, I have a, something special from Larry and Camille. Enjoy your summer. Hey, holiday season's around. This is from Larry. Larry Camille. Camille. That's, All that's the who time. they are. Yep. Got a huge bottle of champagne for my birthday at the house yesterday. Crazy. So they are not only two of my best friends. They're uh, Larry and Camille Ruvo, two of the best people I've ever met. Yeah, I'm just, again, blessed to be even in that circle. Uh, and again, we could talk about that community, and that's what the Vegas Golden Knights have brought to town. You know, we 
I mentioned it earlier, the people hugging and high-fiving. We could be losing on the ice, but everybody's shaking hands, giving high-fives, and enjoying their, their time together as a community. It gives them the opportunity to see each other in a, in a way that they normally wouldn't have you know, that chance to do. You know, it's interesting. You can get married and really commit to it mm-hmm. or not. You can take a job and really commit to it or not. And you can live in a place and really commit to it or not. Or not, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I've lived around the country, too, and I've lived in Palm Beach, Florida, and L.A., and, and this is a very special town. But it's an example of a lot of towns, I think, that if you want to get into where you live, you can. And I think that's a large part of life. You see, you get into stuff. When you're in a hockey, you're into it, mm-hmm. right? When you're in a you're into it. Uh, uh, when you're into this city, you're into it. So, you know, I asked all of us around the country, you know, are we into what we're doing? You know, are we into our town? Are we into our community? And getting into it for me, being involved in Keep Memory Alive and other, you know, St. Jude's and other things that I do here in town, Ronald McDonald House, uh, uh, boy, it makes you feel a part of something bigger than yourself. The gratification is huge. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, charity is very selfish. Because it makes us feel terrific when we do it. Yeah, I agree. And we're the winners in the end, along with all the charities, what we do. So I ask everybody this week, you know, when when you think about what Mark and I have been talking about today, other than all the BS we talked about, you know, we talked about, you know, how do we deal with our priorities, slowing things down a little so we can make better decisions. We talked about the fact that we have to get into things completely. So I ask you the question as we leave this week. Are you really into your community? Are you really into your job? Are you really into your marriage or relationship? If you're not really into it, then probably you should find something else that you would get into. Yeah, take a deep breath, and relax, and make a choice and move on. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Man, what a great time of year beautiful weather and football is right around the corner and if you're looking to add some excitement make bet dsi your betting partner use bet dsi's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle and new members get a hundred percent bonus match using promo code taffer 101 that's double your money to start winning today so why would you choose bet dsi first of all it's been paying winners for 20 years it's a top rated site And you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It is a really friendly interface. It's got a very cool mobile site. And most important, it's got the fastest payouts in the industry. So BetDSI offers options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. So try betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish Every play, every minute until the end. And remember, new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. Again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TAFFER101 to get this limited time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Guys, it's only a game to you bet at BetDSI. So we've got a new technology that allows you to communicate directly with the show. And you can do that at anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no-excuses. I'm going to give it to you again because it's really cool to interact with the show using it. It's anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no-excuses. 
dash excuses. And if that's too complicated for you, which I know it is for some of you, <laughs> then you can just send the note to podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. Either way, guys, make sure you reach out to me because I'd love to hear from you. This is No Excuses. Now it's the time that worries me sometimes, but not so much. Uh, uh, audience participation. So you guys can call, you can send in uh, video clips, audio clips, honestly, whatever the hell you want, and I'll try to respond as best I can. And you can do that by just sending an email to podcast at johntaffer.com with your audio clip, your video clip, uh, your question, your comment. Go for it, buddy. <laughs> All right. Put me go. on thin ice. Let's Here's see what we first got. One. First one. Here we go. Corey, Hi, John. This is Johnny in Houston, Texas. I'm a professional musician, and I mostly play in classic rock bands. I'm really interested in your system of programming music for the bar. What advice could you give me about our sets that would help us be more valuable to the venues that we serve? Thanks a lot. Boy, that's a great question. I don't know if, if my listeners honestly uh, know this, but I have what I believe is the uh, uh, only patent ever issued by the federal government for music management. Uh, the quote is actually what the patent says is, an apparatus to achieve a desired ambiance in a hospitality property. So I really know my chops when it comes to beats per minute, music mitts, curves, left turns, weaves, and all different types of music programs. A couple of things to consider with a band. First of all, many bands are too light for the heavy stuff, too heavy for the light stuff. They don't have the flexibility that a DJ does. Many bands work off a DJ, so they go back and forth between DJ band, DJ band. Here's a couple of pointers. One, Anytime you switch over to a DJ, go down a notch in energy so that he can go up a notch when your set ends. That's number one. So it's always an up step in energy when you go from band to DJ or DJ to band. Two, when the DJ hands over to you, come in hard. Three, always look at the manipulation of a set. Always look at where you're going to leave the audience. You want to leave them wanting more. You want endings to be somewhat sudden. I love when bands know how to end a set on their best hook, their best opportunity. Wham! End it cold so everybody's wanting more. The other science of beats per minute is the science of curve. And beats per minute curves are a very powerful thing. Too quick of beats per minute for too long, people burn out. Too low or slow beats per minute, people get bored and leave. So there needs to be a curve. In a 45-minute curve, we normally bring per beats per minute up about 30 to 40% within each curve. So if beats per minute are at about 90 beats per minute, which is very typical for hip-hop music, uh, rock more falls at about 120 beats per minute, move up that curve, bring it up higher, know where your beats per minute start and where they end. That's a key manipulative tool in managing the energy of a set, is managing beats per minute. All of that has to do with music. It doesn't have to do with the visual aspects of a show. But the most important thing to understand about music is music isn't music, it's reactions. Bands don't play music, they play reactions. They achieve it through music. If the song, the set, the combination of songs doesn't create the right reaction, then the band has failed. So the band needs to know that. Any band is not in the music business, they're in a reaction business. How'd I do? You think I passed? Yeah, that was great. Cool. Next one? All right. Hi, John. My name is James, and I am from the United Kingdom. My question is, I came to the United States as a student a couple of years ago, fell in love with the place, and realized I want to come back and be a bar owner myself someday. 
How would I go about convincing a bar owner or even a manager that I am worth the hassle of hiring and to go through the legal process and sponsorship of a visa with me? What would be your advice for me to come over and convince an owner to sponsor me? Thank you. Boy, James, you know, in America, there's a bit of a novelty to British pubs, Irish pubs, the whole pub premise. You know, to many, your accent is an appeal, uh, something hospitable, something that a concept can be built around. So I think you need to find the right operator, and I think you need to tell them that you, you'd like to bring some of the disciplines of Europe, and Europe has some of the best bars, because in Europe, a bar is a career. In America, working in a bar tends to be a stepping stone to the next thing in life. So, so they're very, very different industries in those countries. I would focus on who you are, James, where you're from, and that you bring a great a, a unique point of difference to any bar by bringing uh, uh, that British mentality of, of pub uh, experiences, snugs, and, and all the various elements that go along with a pub. The most important asset you have, James, is who you are. Sell that, because that novelty here in the States uh, of, of where you're from and the whole hook of British pubs, pubs and, and that whole European style of pub making, if you will, can be an appeal to the right operator. There you go. Be yourself, buddy. All right, last one. Hey, John, I know you're familiar with running multiple businesses. Um, being a local business owner here in Las Vegas, how would I, um, or do you have any tips on how I could um, run multiple businesses better um, or more efficient? Thank you. Boy, that's a tough question because so many businesses are so different with the amount of time that you put into them. Some require more time, some require less. Some retire nights, some require days. You know, some businesses you can do on your computer during your free time. Other businesses cause you to do it then, not at your timetable, but at the business's timetable. So, you know, all those things aside, I've learned, and, and right now, I have so many things going on right now, it's hard even for me to keep track of them. We have this sparkling seltzer. We have the mixer. Uh, uh, we have Bar Rescue. We have a new television show uh, coming soon, which I can't say the name of yet, but we start production of that in a couple of months. Uh, uh, we have our TVT video training platform. Uh, we have Taffer's Tavern, which is our franchise, which is rolling out our first ones under development in Atlanta now. Uh, so we have a lot of projects in this company. And I must say, I couldn't manage really any of them more than the first one if I didn't have a great team around me. So the trick is two things, not only delegation, but delegation and empowerment. You see, delegation without empowerment doesn't get you anywhere. I always use the term stupid advisors, you know, and I've used it on TV. You know, a stupid advisor is somebody who has the authority but doesn't have the empowerment to make decisions. So they're, they're not stupid, but the whole premise of their position is stupid. So you've got to find somebody you trust delegating to, and then you need to empower that person once you trust them so that they can uh, uh, function a little independently from you, make decisions, move a business forward without constantly waiting for your interaction for the next step to happen. That'll accelerate things really quickly for you. But this was our first uh, new episode on our new platforms, on Spotify and we're everywhere. So thanks, everybody, for listening. That does it for this episode. Next week, we're going to be messing with you a little more, aren't we, Corey? We got a yeah, couple we of, will. Yeah, we've got a whole bunch of new things to introduce next week. So we'll talk to you all next week. Remember, whatever you did this week, do something different next week. Make it better, man. Make it better. And don't forget, subscribe right now. Do it right now any place where you subscribe to your podcasts.